and welcome to the Top Order Podcast. In this episode, we're taking a brief detour away from our daily updates of the World Cup to speak with one of the best cricketing minds in the business. I'm sure he needs no introduction to listeners of this show, but today I'm joined by a man who's coached all around the world. He took the Black Caps to their first ever World Cup final, their first ever number one ranking in any format, and more recently guided RCB to three playoff spots in the past four seasons of the IPL. Mike Kesson, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks very much. Looking forward to it. So we're recording this on the 13th of October here in New Zealand, right before the Black Caps take on Bangladesh in their third World Cup game. So kind of to avoid being out of date by the time people listen to this, I think we might release it probably thinking Monday afternoon at this stage. So we kind of probably won't dive too deep on this edition of the World Cup, but how are you enjoying the tournament so far? Has anything kind of surprised you from this first week or so? Um, yeah, we haven't seen many close games. Uh, that's probably been the probably the most important thing, really. There's been yeah, a lot of blowouts. Um, there's been a few surprises, but not too many. I think Australia losing by the amount they did to South Africa was uh, was pretty much a tactical error, really, in terms of the way they went about things. Um, but I mean, India have proven that even when they're in trouble, they they've got enough match winners to. Uh, to certainly make the semi-finals, I would imagine with these, um, yeah, New Zealand's win against England was uh, certainly well, it probably was a surprise um, in terms of the the magnitude of the victory, but um, and probably the the highlights in terms of Rutchen doing what he did. Um, yeah. So there, yeah, probably the, the most promising highlights. Uh, I think Pakistan's probably showed that they're, you know, they're pretty dangerous with the bat, but with the ball, they, you know, they've been a bit average, I guess to to go for 344 against Sri Lanka, who can be quite vulnerable at times, shows that they've got work to do. Um, but yeah, I'm sure as people get into the tournament, the teams sort of start to relax a little bit. We'll see some some closer contests. Uh, so looking forward to that. I, um, I I want to talk about a few bigger picture things. And I said we wouldn't get t- deep into the World Cup, but you mentioned just before tactical error from Australia. You want to f- fill me in on, on specifically what you meant by that? Oh, I mean, Lucknow's... Um, you know, there's a bit of history around luck now in terms of how that, that looks to operate. It always moves around a bit more at night time, um, can often even get slower. I know they've relayed the surface, but, the you know, a lot of those characteristics won't change in terms of the, you know, at night what it does. So probably a defensive move in terms of, um, yeah, in, in terms of chasing um, under lights. I think that's a strange one. And I think uh, the fact that, you know, Ashton Agar, uh, for a left-arm spinner, you know, so valuable in in India, you know, yeah. to replace that with with Manus Labuschagne when you've already got a whole of batting cover, um, shows that that you probably don't value the role of that left-arm spinner, and and even in both games, I think they've been found out by not having one. Yeah, interesting. Um, yeah, we could talk about the uh, Australian uh, troubles at the moment. We could spend a bit of time on that, but yeah, as I said, it's sort of um, at the risk of this sort of being out of date in a few days' time. I'm sort of keen to look at sort of uh, a bigger picture things for the World Cup. So you you were a part of a few cycles of the World Cup for New Zealand. I know you only went to the one in 2015, but you sort of joined not long after 2011 and, and were a big part of that build up to 2019. I'm keen to know kind of what goes into preparing for a World Cup cam- cam- campaign because I sort of feel like for fans, we're often thinking, in cycles, basically, from that one major tournament to the next. Is it is it kind of the same for, for you guys from a coaching and, and managerial point of view? Uh, look, it is. I mean, when I took over in 2012, 
you know, a big part of the brief was around the 2015 World Cup. So, uh, but it's not like you could just work on that in isolation and forget about Test cricket or or T20s. In fact, who were you know continuing to grow, and there were two World Cups during that period of time as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, we identified 2015, worked backwards in terms of how many games are we going to have between now and then. Um, what what's the style of play we need to arrive at the 2015 World Cup? Um, playing, you know, what are conditions going to allow? There were some rule changes that had taken place around, you know, players inside the circle, um, you know, during those those middle phases. So therefore, you needed, you know, players that could hit pockets and hit boundaries rather than uh, prior to that. There'd been a lot of guys that just manoeuvred the ball and the, and the game was in sort of a dead phase. So trying yeah. to find, you know, batsmen who could could perform well uh, in that phase. Trying to find bowlers that even when there was nothing in the surface, they could still create opportunity. So you know, we still had to we had we had to find bowlers who could swing the ball. Um, you know, we, we had some, but we had to prioritise who were the ones that we wanted to, you know, to lock in come the World Cup. Um, and then, as I said, as series went on, we're we're trying to, you know, tick off pieces of the puzzle really. So, you know, trying to gather more information on some. So you you sort of spread the net a little bit wider uh, initially, um, with the thought that twelve months out, you want to crunch it down and and be pretty clear around probably the 17, 18 guys that you're going to operate with. Uh, and then if you run out of opportunities, it's a matter of, of looking at the T20 schedule and going, well, okay, uh, yeah. for some of those finishing roles or, you know, guys that can perform under pressure in the death, you know, how can we expose new players? Um, and you might not be able to do it in the one-day phase initially, but but you can add extra experience in the T20 phase. So trying to use both of those formats to to help grow your game heading into 2015. Uh, and we did something similar heading into 2019 as well um, in terms of, you know, we lost, I think we lost seven of our 15 pretty much straight away after the, the 2015 World Cup. Um, so that was a bit of a cycle change. Um, you know, we had the 2016 T20 World Cup in India, uh, which which was really important for us to sort of that next transition with, with Kane taking over. Um, and that allowed us to then start to build again for, for 2019 and, and sort of seeing you know, which players perform under pressure and, and who are the ones you think could be there in three, three and a half years' time. So, um, yeah, similar, a similar process after that. Um, and I left sort of July 2018, so with about you know, 10 months to go or whatever it was till the, the next World Cup. So, um, and pretty much that continued um, into the World Cup. There were maybe a couple of minor changes, but it was pretty much the same, the same group that had been brought through. So, um, you know, every coach has got their own slightly different slant on things um, from yep. a tactical point of view, but um, I guess a lot of those foundations were set because we had a pretty good core group of players. And how do you balance sort of the the personal side of that? Because obviously, when you yeah, when you're trying to shift players in and out and, and trying to do different things, I feel like a big part of the Black Caps' success in in recent times, you know, even you know, but yeah, definitely dating back to to when you were at the helm, was sort of being driven by uh, you know, getting more than the sum of, of the parts for everyone and everyone sort of having a clear understanding of roles. I feel like that must be a bit trickier to navigate when you when you are having to cycle players in and out and, and trying to figure things out about people's games. Yeah, I think as, as long as you're having those conversations with players um, and you're really clear around, okay, you, you might be playing this series, um, you know that we're looking for you in this role, um, but look, we also um, need to see other people in that role as well. Um, so. You know, when you when you periodise the year, um, not every player is going to play every series anyway. 
So you're, you're sort of saying, well, okay, we want you to be, firstly, we want you to go away and work on your game in this particular area because this is the role we want you to play. Um, are you comfortable with that? Yep. Once you get signed off in terms of, yep, that's the role we want you to play, then it's a matter of trying to provide enough opportunities. It doesn't mean every opportunity. So, and I think players start to understand that, that, okay, rather than you're not going to play for the next three years, you're not going to play every series, you know, performing that role where, but you might play seven of the 10 or six of them or whatever it is. Um, and then we might also um, use you in a different role in a different form because we might need to use you in that role as a backup. You know, when you've got a squad of 15, it's not like you've got a like for like in every role. So occasionally you've got to have players who can, you know, perform different roles and someone like a Tom Latham who could keep, but he could also cover the top and he could also cover the middle. Mm. Um, you know, so we, we needed that. We, we saw that with, um, you know, Nathan McCullum, you know, came in. He, he could potentially, if conditions suited and he had to bowl in the power play, he could, you know, because he did a lot of T20s. So he gave us some flexibility in that role. Um, you know, so we, we pretty much did that same with a guy like uh, like Mitch McLennigan. You know, we know he's probably best suited to a new ball bowler, but but there are many times you might have to, if you're going to make the team, you might have to do it as a first change bowler. So yeah. these are some of the skills you need to do. Um, we need to see from you over the next couple of years and we'll give you some opportunities to show that you've got it. Um, so it's all pretty well mapped out, but it, it does need regular comms um, because – if a player sees that opportunity slipping away or someone grabbing it, um, you know, you we obviously want everybody to be improving all the way along because we know that injuries happen. We know that, you know, there are cycles of players and, and we don't want to, you know, New Zealand's quite unique and we don't have, and we shouldn't have the ability to just throw guys away. You yeah. know, we've got such a small player base that we want them to come and ideally come back to us and say, hey, we're better than we were before. How about you give us another shot? Um, and if you've got that happening behind the scenes and you've got your domestic coaches helping in that space as well, then um, you're sort of driving some some depth, which is is obviously what we've, we've started to create. And, and yeah, how do you, how do you, how does that sort of um, partnership with the domestic coaches work? Because I think um, something that I guess in New Zealand at the moment, we've got this cycle of, you know, great players that we've had for a really long time and everyone keeps talking about okay we've got you know everyone's over 30 how do we kind of develop this next level and, and a lot of players or a lot of fans I guess haven't really seen that next level down how, how does it work with the coaching staff because I'm sure they don't get to see much domestic cricket and all and uh, you know everything that's going on at that level yeah I mean it's really important um, that that your domestic coaches feel like they're part of preparing players to, you know, to play at the international level. Um, you know, they've got a dual role, I guess. They're, they're trying to win competitions for for the, the franchise or the, the province that they're working for. Yeah. Um, but they also have a responsibility to the player. And to that player, if that player has ambition to play international cricket um, and they have a particular role that they are pushing for, if that's communicated with the, you know, the major association coaches, on many occasions um, during my time, it was – it was helped, you know. They were able to to help that player, you know, potentially try them in the middle order or, or at the top, or mm. maybe not take the new ball on occasions, which which might not be the very best thing for that side at the time, but it might be the best thing for that player. Um, and I guess as long as long as you're not, I guess, bastardising the the competition, you know, you, you're still trying to win the game. 
you're just trying to find a different way of doing it, um, then, you know, your major association coaches play a huge role in that player's development um, in terms of development. Some coaches were better than others um, during my time, and I'm sure they'll be the same now. You know, some coaches are under pressure more from different major associations than others and, and see, you know, New Zealand cricket or players as, you know, their resource rather than, than otherwise. So it's not it's not 100% foolproof, but I think if you if you try and get the coaches to come along for a ride and, and with you um, rather than fighting with them, then you get a far better result. And it, it's far more genuine as well. I mean, we're as I said, we're such a small player base. We can't we can't start working in isolation. Um, mm. If we do that, we're in trouble. But you know, occasionally that happens. And I mean, it, it seems like uh, you know the the current coaching staff as well are trying to, oh, and New Zealand cricket, are, I guess, are, are trying to incorporate those coaches as well. You're often seeing them uh, going on tours or coming along on on in squads and stuff as well. So yeah, as you say, it's probably a, and you know we talk about you just talked about the small player bases, small coaching staff as well isn't there so yeah i mean yeah. you you mentioned roles just before uh Ratchin at the top of the order batting three there do you think that was something that's that was always in the plan or or like has that has that just come out of i know he bats three or top order for um or opens for for wellington but you know pretty much batted at six or seven in the series against england and bangladesh do you think that this was always something they thought about Oh, look, I hope so. I, I think when they picked the squad um, and they didn't pick Finn Allen, uh, they picked mm. Mark Chapman instead, then I think that said that they were comfortable with the backup they had in top order. So, you know, yeah. Chapman was never going to cover top three, so they needed to have somebody. Um, and that's, what I said, when you pick a squad, you need to know you've got those areas covered. So, you know, Rutchen, as you said, that, that's that's his best position. His best position is top three. Um, yeah. He's spent his whole life playing against the new ball, uh, he's he's come in because then opportunities arose when when Satner was injured or were given a break to to perform that role. Um, but look, he, he's he's a batsman who bowls um, yeah. this stage in his career. So um, you know, batting at seven and and having a bowl, you know, full quota in Rovers is just not that's not where his skill set is. So um, yeah, really pleased he's been able to get that opportunity, but probably equally delighted that that he was able to grab it. Um, yeah, and it wasn't. You know, I think we all saw it. It was a high quality innings. It wasn't. Um, there wasn't a lot of fortune in it. It was just a really high quality innings and, and one that you know the whole world has taken note of. Yeah, well, I mean, we, when we did our daily review after the the England game, one of the guys said, you know, it might be a life changing innings for Rutchen, and that was both from sort of an I belong at the international level standpoint, but but also the fact that it's it's in India, it's the first game of, of a World Cup against a, a good side. How, I guess how much of an impact does one innings like that make in, in an IPL boardroom or, you know, in franchise leagues around the world? Like, is this going to change Ratchin's life in, in all facets, not just uh, for, for New Zealand uh, and, and his mark on the international game? Oh, I think all franchises are looking for multi-skilled cricketers. So, you know, the mm. fact that, uh, he's he's shown some flexibility. The fact he's shown he's got power. Um, the show, the fact he's got some game sense. Um, he obviously batted with Devon, who's proven to be an absolute star on the IPL stage, and he didn't look out of his depth at all. Um, you know, most of the bowlers he faced have had you know IPL franchise experience around the world. So look, there will be a lot of notice from a lot of teams, uh, whether that be IPL, whether it be other leagues around the world. So, mm. and that will help his development. 
you know, that, that will really help him coming back to play for New Zealand and that he's played that innings, as you said, he would have got confidence in terms of, yes, I belong, yes, I'm good enough. Um, but then you start to rub shoulders with, with some of the world's best, you know, over a, a two, three-month period. Uh, you start to learn different skills uh, and you start to genuinely believe. And, you know, that's that's part of his, a huge part of his development. And, and I guess the, the little bits that I've had to do with Rutch, and he's, he's a sponge. You know, he's the sort of guy who just wants to absorb all of those learning opportunities that he can. So I think it's an exciting time for him and, and for New Zealand cricket too to, to unearth. Um, you know, he, he's been around for a long time. He's been given opportunities. Um, but, you know, like any young player, you need to sort of come in and out a little bit and then come back in and, and have an innings of substance like that to say, yep, this is, this is where I belong. And um, I know I said I wouldn't do this, but but what do you think they'll do tonight with him now, with uh, with Kane coming back? And and I guess, like as you say, with his development, like my guess is that he probably goes down to seven again. I, I you know you might have a, a different opinion on that, but if he sort of does end up shunted down the order, how how does yeah I guess how do, how does that work for him in terms of his development? Is it just that he gets to you know have those multi skills that that you've talked about? Yeah, look, I always feel a young player um, should be shunted around less, um, you know, in a tournament like this. I think your more experienced players have that ability to to adapt under high-pressure situations. So, look, I'd like to see him uh, at four, personally. Um, okay. I think that you're going to need, in Chennai, you're going to need that left-right combination um, because there'll be a... You know, a truckload of off spinners that will be thrown at us. And, and I think the way Will Young um, attacked uh, Dutt and against the Netherlands when, when Conway was battling away showed the value of having a right-hander. Uh, and I think if you were to just throw out two left-handers, which is the other option, I guess, um, in terms of him batting at the top, I, I think that exposes us against Bangladesh's strength. So I don't think that's probably the way to go. Um, I think he could start at four and then potentially slide if he had to. Like if New Zealand were going well, then you could still revert to having Mitchell at, at four. But yeah, yeah. Um, I think the ability to have that left-right in this game in particular uh, in Chennai would be important. Interesting. Um, before we kind of leave the, the World Cup and, and talk about a, a few other things, I, I can't really have you on the show and, and let an opportunity pass to, to talk about 2015. That. That semi-final against South Africa, probably, I think, my most memorable live sporting experience at Eden Park. I was, yeah, you know, just the, the final moments there. I guess I was jumping around so much. I um, After that final ball, I kind of had to sit back down on my seat for a minute or two to kind of compose myself because I felt like I was going to pass out. Can you <laughs> kind of take me back to that day for you? I mean... Any memories, I guess. How were you feeling as the run chase was going on? You know, where were you while Brendan was smoking in the toilets? Do you still hug Grant Elliott every time you see him? I'll take anything. Yeah. I, I mean, look, I think during the run chase, um, it was pretty clear in terms of the fact we had to get above the, the run rate to start with. Um, mm. You know, there's two ways of thinking about it, I guess. You, you look at it and go, look, Eden Park's a ground where you can catch up. Or it's a situation of going, hey, with all that pressure uh, of a semi-final, you actually don't want to have to play the perfect innings um, in terms of having to score at 10, 12, whatever it is at the back end, and, and therefore you limit yourself. So 
we were really fortunate. Uh, obviously, Brendan played the way he did. Um, you know, to, was it two ninety three or forty two overs or, or approximately yeah. that? You know, to get us to a point where we needed less than a run of ball um, at the end of the power play was extraordinary, really. Um, and that, I mean, that was the turning point in the game. Um, you know, and Brendan had done that so many times um, leading up to the, the World Cup. And during the World Cup, he did it in the opener against Sri Lanka. Um, you know, he did it many times. And when a guy plays that style of cricket, um, you, it is a bit of a high-risk, high-reward situation, but it was certainly one of those days where uh, he was going to come off. I mean, he did it against yeah. Australia in that low chase, uh, whereas if he didn't do that, you know, Kane wouldn't have been able to do the things that he did. So mm. I often think that that innings is often underestimated. Um, but in yeah, the dugout, yeah. we were like, oh, wow, we can actually just play the same tempo we've played the whole tournament now. Um, you know, the partnership, obviously, with, with Corey Anderson, who, you know, got pretty much a runnable 50, was, was you know, for a young lad, you know, that was so important. Um, and I... <sighs> Yeah, I, I just remember. Um, I remember the discussion, um, as I said, after, after Brendan got out, and it was just more relief in the change room in terms of right. Oh, let's just get back to our blueprint, and um, you know, we had some pretty good guys out there who were pretty capable. Um, Grant, you know, Grant was brought in because he had experience um, in those key moments. He obviously excelled and and did probably more than what we ever could have dreamed of in terms of you know, being able to deal with those pressure moments. But even leading yeah. up to that, you know, all the work he did uh, on the bowling machine, practicing his hitting out, um, you know, I was sort of feeding the balls and you knew the lengths that he could hit. Um, and the way he was hitting it, you know, I was pretty confident that he could do something. I actually thought he would have ramped it, to be honest. You know, we were talking, I think it was Ross, myself, Guppy, um, someone else, we were in the coach's box up the top. Uh, and we, you know, like superstition, you know, most things we didn't move, you know, for a yeah, long time yeah. while that was all was all happening. Uh, and we obviously knew that a tie was going to be good enough because we'd, we'd top the we'd top the table. So we actually thought that, that he was going to ramp it um, and we thought four was going to be enough because Stain was never going to try and bowl a Yorker. But, yeah, the fact he ran in and bowled hard length, um, yeah, and as soon as he struck it, like we were out of, out of our seat, we obviously knew that it was out of the middle. Um, yeah. I just remember following Roscoe down the um, down the stairs. I think his jandals had fallen off as had guppies, and sort of running down the stairs. And I was sort of, you know, we were all just running out, sort of screaming like everybody else. And Corey Anderson gave me a massive big bear hug at the bottom of the stairs. And um, I knew where Baz would be. You know, he's he's always once he gets out, he's always um, in the change room, and um, it's pretty tough down there because there's always a delay uh, on the TV. So you you very much oh, yeah. got to respond to to the noise, but he was, he was running out too. He, he obviously knew that it was a good noise rather than a bad noise. Um, <laughs> after he'd sort of hugged the waiters and so forth, but it was, look, it was just a, an amazing experience to be part of. Um, and probably knowing that, you know, there'd been a huge amount of work from a lot of people behind the scenes to get to that point. And mm. if we'd fallen over at the semi final, it would have felt like we'd really missed an opportunity. Um, you know, going through the tournament unbeaten and then to be knocked out at the semi-final would have been, you know, probably a tough pill, pill to swallow. Um, mm. And just walking around the ground afterwards, you know, clapping the crowd, 
it was a really emotional time, to be honest, because it was like there'd been so many people who had, you know, I think six semi-finals who, who had either been part of World Cups before and had been through that disappointment um, that were just so happy that we actually got ourselves to the big dance. And, um, you know, we had an amazing week after that too uh, in terms of our preparation and, and how we went about things. And, uh, you know, I, I know it'll show that we didn't, you know, we didn't win it at the MCG, but, um, you know, Australia's first 20 overs with the ball were probably as good as I've, I've seen um, ever in terms of that, their ability to, to hit the areas they needed to in those 20 overs, and we just couldn't get away. So, um, yeah, it was it was an amazing six weeks. Uh, and even though we didn't win it, the fact we came back and, uh, you know, we got bussed down to the viaduct in Auckland and, you know, there were tens of thousands of people just basically saying thanks, which was which was pretty special. And yeah, it was probably pretty good for us because we were sitting over there for a day in, in Melbourne going, geez, we've really missed an opportunity here. But, um, you know, to know that, you know, we gave it everything. And, you know, unfortunately, we were just beaten by a better side on the day, which which can happen in cricket. Oh, yeah, I can reiterate that it was a it's a special it was a special moment that, that New Zealand fans are, are, are always going to have. So, yeah, I, I think you guys can be can be pretty proud of of what you guys did in that tournament. And, and I, I do have a question about the final, but something you said there, you said Stain was never going to bowl a Yorker. Why not? Um, it's not really his go-to. Like, I guess you, you in all your okay. scouting, you know what guys' go-tos are when they're under pressure. Like, you know, a lot of our guys, they know that. Um, so it's not like it's a surprise. You know, he, he either bowls hard length. He, he You know, he can bowl Yorkers, but he when he's under pressure, um, he doesn't. So he tends to, to decide with, you know, go with other options. Actually bowls more Yorkers with a new ball than he does often with the older one unless it's reversing. So, um, And he also needed to get a dot ball. So, you know, small straight boundaries, you know, Yorkers probably not the probably not the play. So, yeah, um, yeah it's, it doesn't mean you always get it right, but obviously Grant, <laughs> uh, obviously Grant did. So I'm yeah. pleased he was here. <laughs> And um, that final, yeah, I feel like whenever that game is mentioned, kind of everyone just says oh, it was decided as soon as Stark bowled McCullum in that first over. But I, I kind of always, anytime anyone says that to me, I say, like, actually New Zealand fought back pretty well in that match. And I feel like Elliot and Taylor, like, they, they, that partnership built a platform that, like, am, am I misremembering that, that, that yeah. New Zealand were actually in a decent position and, until that fought yeah, I mean, over? Exactly right. I mean, that's the thing that, that stands out. And, um, you know, the, we all know what happened early on. I mean, that can happen. As I said, you, you can't you can't expect Brendan to play the way he did in the semi-final and then come out and, and block the snot out of it um, in the final. You know, you just that's just not the way you do it. Um, and you you've got to you live by the sword, die by the sword. And he's the first to admit that he probably wasn't watching the ball as closely as he, he would have liked. And, and that's, you know, that's life. That's what pressure does sometimes but um yeah we certainly wouldn't want him to have played any other way um but you're right i mean grant and, and roscoe got us to a, a great position um before uh the batting power play you know after 35 overs that happened and mm. um faulkner came back on he bowled that those slow cutters to yeah, um yeah. got ross caught behind and then the the shadow came across the pitch and um so the the batting end when 
I think it was. I'm not sure it was when when Corey, Corey and Luke Corey came, in, came yeah. out. Yeah. There was that whole end was completely in darkness, which was probably fine if you were set and you were in. But to start the innings, um, you know, it was was worse than twilight. It was literally bright sun at one end and dark at the other. Uh, and you know, Ronks nicked off early on, and, and you know, Corey was out as well. So Grant was sort of left to his own devices a little bit there. But but you're right, we'd fought back incredibly well and got ourselves to a point where um, you know could have easily got two seventy five to eighty, which which in a final you know, could well have been enough. And yeah. I don't think people talk much about the fact that the ball landed on the stumps for uh, Michael Clark either and the bales didn't come off. Yeah. Um, and that was a point where they could well have been three for 60, you know, chasing what they were. So, the, you know, there were still chances with the ball where we, we had a little bit of, you know, we had a bit of belief. Um, yeah. And obviously Dan did his hamstring, which, you know, he was outstanding through the whole World Cup. And, and the fact that he wasn't able to do what he was able to do because his hamstring was hanging on by a thread, wasn't particularly helpful either. So um, there were so many different elements to it. But ultimately, we, you know, we were outplayed on on that day, and and that was that was okay. I mean, we were the best two sides in the competition. I don't think there was much doubt about that. Um, and we'd had some hard fought battles with Australia the two years leading up to that as well. Um, you know, we we'd managed to win the Chapel Hadley a few times, so we had plenty of belief. But you know, on the day, we weren't good enough. And and I guess after you experienced that, how tough was it for you to to then like step away from the side in twenty eighteen after you'd kind of gone through the build up and and you know looking forward I guess to an, hopefully another opportunity that that did eventually come in that final in twenty nineteen. Yeah, I look. I mean, I did six years and I absolutely had the intention of going through um, to the World Cup, but um, you know that that those six years um, there were a couple of years where we had well over 300 days a year away, um, yeah. away from home. I had a pretty young family. Uh, we started out young and were relatively old by the time I um, I finished. Um, and, you know, the amount of time away certainly put its toll on from a family perspective. So, you know, I needed to make a call, you know, at that time. Um, I think if it was purely a cricket decision, that's easy. But, mm. you know, you, you've, you've got other things that you need to do in your life and, and – and other people you need to respect as well. So, um, you know, that was that was a tough time because, you know, I love coaching New Zealand. It was a job that um, I'd worked damn hard to get the opportunity to get. And then, yeah. uh, you know, it wasn't it wasn't all plain sailing, um, you know, at times. So, you know, I had to really challenge myself, I guess, as a person during, you know, some of those initial periods as well in terms of what why I was here and what I was trying to achieve. And, and then even 2016, you know, to go through the two, that, that T20 World Cup unbeaten um, with India, Pakistan, uh, Bangladesh, you know, all in that, the pool of death, so to speak, for us to go through that unbeaten um, with a new group of players was, was another really important step and one that I was immensely proud of in terms of that we'd, we'd sort of got through that 2015 and now we'd started to build again. So, you know, I was, I was, really, I was really comfortable the, the state that I left the team in. Um, there were so many good leaders in that group, um, both on and off the park, you know, from yeah. a, a coaching staff. We, we'd had plenty of succession planning in terms of, you know, giving those leaders opportunity. Um, Steady had been with us a couple of times um, within the group. You know, we didn't know what was going to happen there in terms of who was going to take over, but obviously he was probably a front runner. Um, yeah. So there was a lot of succession planning. So I didn't feel like I was leaving the team in a, 
you know, in the lurch, if you know what I mean. Um, I certainly felt like the team was in a strong position. Um, I'd given it everything I could, um, and now it was up to somebody else to come in and bring some fresh ideas and, and drive the team forward again. And do you feel like a sense of pride when you, you look at that squad now and, and the fact that they've they've kept it going? I mean, you talked about succession planning there. I mean, yeah, obviously, you know, yeah, New Zealand had, it had had a pretty tough time of it the, the years before that. And now, you know, it's been a decade of success, you know, from, from the time that you took over and then, and then into now into Steady's reign. Oh, look, look, I am. I mean, I'm incredibly proud of, of being a, a New Zealand supporter um, during a time that that they play good cricket, you know, and, and they play the way that I think New Zealand teams should play um, in terms of the absolutely put everything on the, you know, on the field, but but do it with some humility, you know, treat your opposition with respect, um, you know, play the, treat your, the umpires, treat, you know, treat the game with respect. Um, and I'm probably equally happy that that's continued as well. You know, we were a we were a pretty um, we were a pretty grumpy, sad sort of a bunch. You know, for a while there, um, and we weren't particularly well liked by uh, you know the umpires and, and opposition things like that. And, and it wasn't helping our cricket. It wasn't mm. like oh, we were you know we were hard nosed, but we were winning. It wasn't like that at all. We were just you know we were focusing on areas we didn't need to focus on. So really happy that we're, we're playing that way. Really happy that. There are a number of different leaders in that group that you've sort of seen develop over time. Um, mm. You know, I've been part of some of that, um, but to see it continue and, and grow and um, get even stronger, and then new ones come in and be integrated into that same sort of style of this is what it's like to be a black cat. You know, that sort of stuff I'm really proud of. You know, in terms of you know that hasn't yeah, there's a little bit of a legacy there in terms of our group sort of. And that carrying on to the the next group as well. Yeah, it's been it's been a great decade to, to be a, a Black Caps fan. That's that's for sure. You finished with uh, the Black Caps. So there was there was talk uh, that you were quite close to getting the the India job at one point, uh, and then uh, you you obviously had your time with RCB. I'm keen to sort of hear what it's what the the difference I guess is between and in specifically really in team building between. Uh, you know, at the international level, and you talked about all the, the different roles and, and kind of planning for different tournaments. For the IPL, that must be very, very different because your your players change all the time, and and you've got you know you do have your core players sometimes, but yeah, what what is that like in, in terms of trying to to build both for the next tournament and then for for the future? Yeah, it's it's a really Interesting dynamic, uh, one that I quite enjoy. Obviously, it's it means that you know it's probably a three months of the year that you're away from home rather than ten and a half. So I mean that in itself sort of suited me at that time, um, yep. and to get an opportunity in the IPL was was pretty cool, um, and was was only would have happened because we we did so well from a black caps perspective, and um, you know seemed to make some value there. So um, look, RCB. Uh, are a side that's that's never won the IPL, um, and they've had some really good teams over the years. Um, so a big part of my job was actually similar to New Zealand, and that I came in and, and RCB had finished last the two years prior to me coming over, um, and they had a big auction during that time. Which every three years in the IPL you have a a big auction, 
where you yeah. can only retain uh, three, maximum four players, and then the rest goes. You go to market. So they'd had a, an auction where I wouldn't say they had a great auction in terms of the, you know, the the style of play married up with the players that that they had, and there'd been a high turnover of players, and, and sort of we were left with a bit of a mismatch. So first part was to try and you know get that that squad back together um, and get a, a style of play that RCB were comfortable with in terms of uh, the way that, you know, they wanted to play um, and and then find some job descriptions around that and find some players that we felt could perform those roles um, rather than, you know, we had sort of four opening batsmen and, um, you know, three or four guys that all needed the new ball and, it, you know, it was it was all the roles weren't quite right. And probably because some of those players they thought might be flexible enough to do other roles, but in the end, you know, they weren't. So, um, yeah, had to make some some shifts there. Uh, we'd sort of set the team up to play at, at um, Chinnaswamy Stadium and then obviously COVID hit. So yeah. the the tournament was moved um, at the last minute, you know, to, to Dubai. Um, so all of a sudden you know, in a bubble. So all of a sudden you've got the squad made for a particular venue um, and then you're, you're changing as well. So that in itself had its challenges. Um, but we yeah, pretty much followed a similar bl- blueprint. You've just got a far shorter period of time to get the team to jump. You know, you've, you've, you get the team sometimes two to three days before your first game. Um, you'll, have the, you'll have the local Indian lads there maybe 10 days before that. Um, because they're not involved in international cricket, but you'll get, you know, your high-profile Indians who are playing internationals. You get all your overseas pretty much within the last three to four days. Wow. Um, so trying to pull all that together and then be flying by game one is um, is always a challenge. Um, but we, yeah, we managed to, um, you know, we had AB de Villiers and, and Virat Kohli who had been sort of the you know, the poster boys for RCB, as they quite rightly should be. Um, but yeah. we needed to try and build some more heroes rather than just be reliant on two players. So, uh, we, you know, we were able to find a couple of local lads who, who had a really good season and, and dev up Padakal um, and try and get some, I guess, some buy-in around, hey, we really want to play for this franchise um, rather than I just want to play for IPL and the RCB pick me. So it was trying to get a little bit of life back into playing for RCB. Virat certainly helps that because he's absolute hard on the sleeve sort of stuff. Um, and we managed to get off to a good start uh, and then all of a sudden we got a bit of momentum and we, the team gelled and we were, we were great. So we, and then the next year was a, was a big auction again. So um, where we had to sort of rebuild, which was probably not a bad time for us. Um, yeah. Yeah. A lot of challenges. It's pretty cutthroat. Um, like I said, we were the only team in the whole competition to make uh, the finals three years in a row. Uh, the four years I was there, we were the, won the most games out of anybody, having come off two sides when we were last. Uh, and then we missed out by one run, and, and half of us got the sack. So it's yeah. just that's just the way it is. It's a there's a really high expectation around performance, and you know you, you live and die by that. And you can't join the IPL if you think it's going to be um, you know all beer and skittles. It's it's challenging, um, yeah. but it's it's great fun to be a part of. 
I mean, was it daunting for you when you you step into the the dressing room and step into the start of it? Because I mean, you know, you mentioned those stars. I mean, I, I know you obviously, I'm sure, came across them, and you know, you had come across them in, in international cricket and and all of that kind of stuff. But I I feel like I don't know. We're sort of a bit more down to earth here. You know, you're the coach of the Black Caps, but you maybe not a star. You walk into you know you walk into India and yeah, Virat Kohli. I, I imagine he can't go anywhere in India without being mobbed. So yeah, was it how was that sort of experience on a personal level? Uh, I think it's one of those things that, once again, you, you get confidence from um, knowing that you actually can add value. Um, and, mm. you know, it, it might not be because I've, you know, played 100 test matches or, you know, I've done X. It's, it's more about because um, the players decide if you're any good or not. You know, the players are really quick to to say, yes, you can add value to helping me and the team, well, no, you can't. And, you know, I guess I'd put a bit of work in prior to the tournament, um, you know, flown over to India, um, you know, with Simon Kadich, uh, met with Virat, sort of went through the way we wanted to play, um, you know, got some buy-in from some of the senior players in terms of these are some of the things we want to do before we meet. Um, so when we, we met as a group, it wasn't for the first time. Um and I guess, like any player in any team, they just want to know there's some real clarity around around roles. So, you know, players want to know, hey, where am I likely to bat? What's the role I want? Rather than turning up and, you know, you're, you're batting opening one minute, you're three the next, you're, you know, you're the power player here, or now you've got to bat through the innings, or whatever it is, players yeah. just want clarity. Um, and I guess one of the things I could provide them was that. Um, and also a bit of confidence that as long as you're, you're trying to do the right thing, you know, we've got a, a good squad, but we're also not going to chop and change all the time. Um, you know, that that is a huge pressure that you get in the IPL. Is it, are you, I mean, the best teams in a year win 60% of their games, you know, yeah. to make. So you're going to lose, obviously, 40%. So how are you going to react when you lose? You know, are you going to, you know, change the batting order? Are you going to throw out the people that did well poorly in the last game and bring other people in? Or are you going to keep the faith in terms of if someone's your best player on a Monday, just because they didn't fail on the Tuesday doesn't mean that the Wednesday they're now not your best player. Um, and that's kind of the thing that you end up spending a lot, a lot of time talking to owners about and, and and just saying, look, you know, cricket is about something that's played over a period of time. It's not... Um, you know, that's why they have averages. You know, it's a matter of there are some some roles that people play that are far high risk and the the chance of success, you know, the best in the world could be 30%. So, you know, let them fail. Um, you know, then they're closer to being successful. So just just chill. And that's, uh, yeah, that's a big yeah. part of what you try and do. And that, that grows confidence in the group too. Like if you're willing to go and bat for them, um, mm. then, you know, the players know that, you understand the game. Look, I know we're we're both wanting to get to the New Zealand Bangladesh game, not not too far away, so it won't keep you too much longer. But how valuable do you think that that IPL time is for the players, particularly for the New Zealand players? Because I think a lot of the the guys recently have been in squads but haven't seen that much game time necessarily. I'm thinking of someone like Daryl Mitchell who was in there for a while. You had Finn at, at RCB, and I, I don't know if he even played a game, did he? At, at various points so yeah I mean how is but then I, I think they go there and 
from all reports, they they come back and and say that it was a very valuable experience. What what does that time look like for for someone like Finn, for example, while he's there but not playing? Yeah, I mean there are a lot of opportunities to train. Um, so you know Indians love to train, and there are always plenty of uh, net bowlers, plenty of facilities where you can challenge yourself and and look to improve. That the thing you need to do is obviously turn up with that attitude that that's what you want to do. And the, the reality is there are over a 1,000 players in the auction and, you know, there are 200 to get picked up in the eight squads when there are eight. So, mm. you know, whether you're, you're playing or not, you're pretty lucky to be there and you've got a, a huge opportunity. Um, and the reality why you're not playing, like if I think Finn, for example, you know, he's there as, a, as an opening batsman. Um, you know, our captain is Fafdu Perceived. So Finn's there as a straight swap for Faf. So if Faf was to get injured, then Finn would come in. And there was a couple of times where, you know, he was, he was you know, within minutes of playing. Um, and, you know, Faf was, you know, on a bit of a knife edge with his side, but, you know, he'd always just proven his fitness. But Finn was always ready to go. There was also another game that was going to be like a five-over game, and we were likely to play Finn in that. And it was like two minutes away from playing and it rained again you know so he had he had a little bit of a sniff on a few occasions um but there were times where you know he would get frustrated as well in terms of look he just wants to play but yeah. the reality is you know Faf Dupasi and Virat Kohli are our two opening batsmen and and number three is an Indian so unless you're going to change your passport you know you're just <laughs> not going to get the opportunity um, yeah. But, hey, you've got to make sure you're ready. And to be fair to Finn, he, you know, he put a lot of work in and, and playing spin. Um, you know, he worked with a lot of the Indian coaches as well to, to get some different information around how to play in different conditions. Mm. You know, he made some good friends. Um, and he, you know, he didn't get too down. I mean, the, often in those situations, you know, you get players who don't get picked up in the IPL now purely because they're actually not great in the environment. Um, yeah. And we were lucky that, regardless of whether our guys were playing or not. And I'd be disappointed they weren't playing, but they were still really good within the team. And, and Finn was certainly one of those. Look, I, I could keep asking you questions all evening, but I, yeah, as I said, we're, we're both about to, to watch the, the Black Caps-Bangladesh game. You've, uh, you've just finally, I guess, have you given much thought to, to what's next for you? Do you still have sort of big ambitions on the, on the coaching side of game? Because you, you've sort of moved more recently to the, to the, I guess, director of cricket sort of side. Yeah, look, I still love coaching. Um, I mean, my kids are 13 and 16 now, so, you know, the, the ability to do a full-time coaching role is still not quite there. Um, you know, I do quite a lot of parenting and I've probably got, you know, I've got a bit to catch up on. So I'm, I'm really enjoying that um, with Holly yeah. and, and, and Charlie. And, um, you know, I'm in a, in a new relationship and, um, you know, so spending time at home is, is important. Um, but I, I think the... Um, the franchise system sort of works pretty well for me. Um, I've still got links in the IPL, um, and I, you know, even though I'm not with RCB, I'm still, you know, still have some involvement in the IPL. Um, also involved in TV um, in India and over here, so I still like to stay involved in it. Um, and when you're full time in the IPL, you, you often aren't allowed to do other roles. You know, I haven't been able to, to do anything because of the role of director of coaching hasn't allowed me to do that or director of cricket so hopefully I do get opportunities to do that um, mm. and certainly you know if that 
if that eventuates, then, you know, I do love the, the coaching side. And the director of cricket was, I was quite lucky because I actually did quite a lot of hands-on coaching as well. Um, oh, yeah, okay. And that probably still, you know, tickled the itch a little bit. Oh, look, Mike, it's been a, an absolute pleasure chatting to you tonight. I, yeah, I really appreciate you, you giving up your time to talk to, to me and the listeners. New Zealanders uh, can hear and, and see more from you on, on No Boundaries on Sky for, for the rest of this World Cup. Um, but, yeah, thanks thanks so much for, for joining me tonight. Enjoy the rest of the World Cup and, and all the best. Pleasure, Stuart. Nice to chat. <laughs>